1: Hey everybody, it's Forbes Riley, and welcome to this edition of The Forbes Factor. We talk about health, wealth, and happiness, and how we can integrate all of them in our lives, and you know that's always my focus. You know, we always go, where in the world is Forbes Riley? And so, with a a summer trip to Portugal for a month, and back from Hawaii, off to Utah, just in Pittsburgh, where am I today? I'm sitting in my home, and I'm very grateful for that. I have two extraordinary guests, and we're going to focus a little bit on digital marketing. I do have a a big surprise, which I'm not sure if I should reveal now or wait, but in the digital marketing space, there's a thing called funnels. Y'all know what a website is, but very few of you know what a funnel is. And when you use one funnel, one sales mechanism, and make a million dollars in that funnel, they give you an award. They call it the Two Comma Club, and I believe one just got delivered to my house after three years of fighting tooth and nail to get this. The company is finally making money, and very, very excited to do that. But having said that, there's so many things that I don't know. And so I'm always on the look to understand more about internet marketing. And one of my guests deals with SEO. And my other guest, well, you're just going to want to understand what he's got to share with you because things are changing so fast. Now, for me, Many years ago, if you're like me, when the internet started and I, I hired webmasters and I hired people who took my money and left me hanging, I got so frustrated because no one really explained it. Well, Chad, my guest today, is a decorated veteran of the Operation Iraq Freedom. So he's a, a very patriotic, beautiful soul. He's a former U.S. Army commander and the co-founder of Revelance, the world's first only website dedicated to content promotion, news, and insights. So not only does he have it going on, he knows how to promote it. Uh, And then he's a former adjunct professor of internet marketing at the Indiana University of School of Business. And I got to tell you, he also did some time at Rutgers, one of my all-time favorite schools. And I could go on and on, but I'd rather just talk to him in person. Chad, are you there?
2: Forbes, that was a great introduction. Thank you very much.
1: Well, you're very, very welcome. And I want to, one, thank you for your service. Um, How does it feel to be somebody who helped preserve the freedom of this country?
2: Um. It's really my my rock bed and foundation for my life, um, meaning um, it's not my life uh, moving forward, but it sets the groundwork of being persistent, tenacious, uh, and uh, having uh, a sense of awareness um, now, at all times.
1: And I appreciate that so much what got you into the world of the internet and digital marketing? So
2: (laughs) this is, it's a long story, but I'll be short. Um, So when I was at Indiana university, that's where I had my undergraduate degree. I studied entrepreneurship and for some reason, I always gravitated towards the marketing side of business plans. And um, of course, in the entrepreneurship field, in school, you're put into these groups of multiple people, and you build these business plans, so on and so forth. And uh, I found myself uh, gravitating again towards marketing. And believe it or not, in 1996, I came up with this idea for a real company to do email marketing. Now, email marketing didn't exist then. Mm. Um Exact target didn't exist. Salesforce, well, I think they existed as a CRM, but not as email. So I created this whole idea behind email marketing, and we pushed that business plan. And out of 700 students, my team won the whole plan based on email marketing. And that oh, was wow. my first taste of the future of digital marketing.
1: Now, um, as I was looking at your website, you know one of my other guests who's not on this show, but a different show named Robert Rose, correct?
2: Yeah, I know. I I, I know Robert very well. Yes, yes. We, we f- have uh, hung out many times at many conferences.
1: What a fun, small world, because I was reviewing your printed material and the books that you've written. You had your finger on the pulse very early. How did you know this was going to be something?
2: Um. Well, I, I can't say that I knew. I just uh, gravitated towards it, like, like I said, way back in the mid-'90s, and I just stuck with it, and it drove my career to where it is today. And, um, I mean, I, I, I'm not an oracle, um, never have been, but it's just something that I'm passionate about Enjoy and uh, love to teach people and help them understand how the Internet works and how it can work for them.
1: All right. Well, we have a limited time today, and we may have to invite you back because some of this is, is very, very valuable information. The Internet has changed. The marketing of yesterday is not the marketing of today or tomorrow. Am I correct?
2: Uh, I would say that is completely accurate.
1: So what do we, what's one or a couple of things that you would say to entrepreneurs today that they should be thinking about and focusing on?
2: Okay, so, um, and this is probably, this probably takes me back to my days in the military, okay? I'm a kiss guy. I'm a keep it simple, stupid, okay? I don't try to overcomplicate things because what I find in our industry, well, in the internet industry, marketing, um, people tend to try to make it more complicated than what it is. And what I tell people today is you need to focus on the the five C's. So the first C is content, okay? It doesn't matter what content you, you create. It can be a podcast, like what you're doing now. It can be a blog post. It can be a video. It can be anything, whatever content you produce, but you need to produce content and publish it online. Um, The second C is consistent cadence contract. Now, what do I mean by consistent cadence contract? You need to write a contract for yourself to your audience and be consistent in your cadence and publishing that content I don't care if it's once a week I don't care if it's every day I don't care if it's two times a day but your audience expects you to to have a cadence so if you only publish content well let's say you publish content twice in one week um, once in a month, and then uh, three times in the next month. That's not a consistent cadence. So that's very important. Audiences um, need to know that you have a cadence, and they can rely on you to deliver them what they want uh, on a cadence. Okay? So the third C is character. Character. So, you need to decide what your character is in your content. So, for me, if I had to define my character as a content creator, I'd say I'm very uh, professorial. Okay? So, I'm very instructional in my content. But you need to define what your character is and create content in that character. I'm not telling you to make something up and to be fake or anything like that, but whatever is real for you. Fourth, um, be conventional. Now, what I mean by that is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't, don't overcomplicate things. Keep things as simple as possible. And then lastly, uh, circulation. So that's the last C out of the five Cs. And circulation is your distribution. How are you going to distribute your content? So with a podcast, for example, you can publish it on half a dozen um, uh, different podcasting platforms. Uh, that's one way. Um, I would rec- highly recommend uh, with the podcast that you send an email out to your list, assuming you had that list and let them know that that content's available. Same thing with blog posts, same thing with videos. Um, Maybe you use social media. Um, It doesn't matter the channel as long as the channel works for you. And you need to define those and experiment and have circulation and distribution in your plan. So those are the five C's and those are the main takeaways Uh, I think that um, I can provide to your audience whether things are changing, evolving, uh, adjusting, um, more channels are being added. It doesn't matter. If you stick to those five things, you're good to go.
1: Well, I love those. They're very, my C is very concise. You've got clarity and great C communication. So thank you for that. Um, and, And really important, I think the biggest place that people get lost and what you said was so interesting about having this communication with your audience and being consistent about what you put out. That's kind of a game changer. What do you say to people who are not used to being the center of attention?
2: Well, once you hit publish on your website or whatever channel you're using, say a podcast, you are automatically the center of attention. So if you make that decision to hit publish, you're making the decision to be the center of attention. So you need to accept that. If you don't want to be the center of attention, don't hit publish. That's what I would say to that.
1: Well, that's an interesting point. You know, I was thinking that you're going to say that it doesn't always have to be about you, but the Internet and social media seems to be a lot about people. How important is it for you to build a personal brand around what you do?
2: Um, you know, what's funny is um, I I never built a personal brand. I was just me online, and it happened. It just happened. Um, and... It happened because I created a lot of helpful content that people resonated with and used in their own businesses. And if you do that and you do it with those five C's I said and be consistent with it, um, you will just haphazardly build your own personal brand. Whether you're oh. targeted on it or not. Now, what I find, what I found recently, excuse me, with this um, whole uh, influencer thing on like TikTok and some other channels, um, they start off with it being about all, just being about them and their personal brand and trying to grow it immediately. And some people, it works for them. Most people, it doesn't work. If I got on TikTok today, tonight, and tried to make some cool viral video, it it wouldn't pan out at all. But I can write a blog post and publish it on social media today or the Huffington Post or the Guardian and uh, get all kinds of attention.
1: Oh, so what's... I, I love how you're putting this... Does it matter what somebody does, whether they're a coach or they've got a massage business or they're a personal trainer or they're writing? Does it matter what industry they're in? Does it work across the board?
2: It works across the board. Here's the thing. Businesses are in the business of solving problems. That's what they do. That's why they exist. Period. Point blank. Every business solves some problem.
1: I love that you say that because I am teaching and coaching and I don't think that people realize that if they could just figure out the problem their audience has and be the solution, they have a more successful business, right?
2: Well, you just finished what I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, that's, that's why businesses exist, period, point blank, stop. Um, if whatever, whoever pays you as a business owner, um, once you identify their problems and you create content that solves that problem, then uh, those individuals are going to gravitate through Google and other distribution methods to your content and then to you as a business owner. And that's how it works. I, mean, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, read about um, a gentleman named Marcus Sheridan. Um, he's out of Virginia, I believe. Uh, he wrote a New York Times bestseller. Um, uh, what's it called? Um, if, if they ask, you answer. And he owned an a in-ground pool company. And when the 2008 crash happened in the U.S. economy, um. Guess what one of the first things that didn't sell was in-ground pools. Yeah. Okay. So he he was a month away from bankruptcy. Um he got hooked up with HubSpot. I don't know if you're familiar with the software HubSpot. Of course. Um they taught him the inbound marketing philosophy and he got on his website and basically every question, any Um, Client or potential client Ever asked him Was the title of his blog post And he answered it In his blog post To this day He has the most popular Pool website in the world And he's a famous uh, International speaker That travels the world um, Multiple times a week And gives speeches On how to duplicate What he did If they ask You answer
1: I think that is what a great philosophy. All right, we only have a very limited amount of time. Give me another nugget that an entrepreneur can take away from all your years of expertise and teaching.
2: Um, I guess the last nugget I'd like to share is that there's no silver bullet. Um, It's really about multi-channel mixing things up um, doing many things. Um, you might get lucky on, say, just, say, Facebook or, or maybe just YouTube, and and many people have. But as a business, you need to take that risk and spread it out and use multiple channels. Um, search is definitely a great channel, although it tends to convert lower. Um, search has completely changed from what it was um, even five years ago. I've been in SEO since 2006, and I've seen it completely evolve. Google is a beast. Um, but, yeah, uh, spreading your risk out, using multiple channels. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend using multiple Um, forms of content. If you don't have the time, if you have the time and you can write and do videos and do podcasts, that's great. Do it. Um, But if you don't have the time, choose one, stick to it and focus on distribution and keep it simple. Stupid.
1: I I love that message. I think that is just genius. My producer will also let me know how much time I've got left in the show I just want to make sure I get in all my good questions. Um, What's a big mistake that you see entrepreneurs make?
2: Um, The biggest mistake, well, the biggest mistake is ignoring the Internet. But aside from that, um, really not investing the time to do the basics. On the internet. So, what do I what do I mean by the basics? Um, so, for example, Google has local listings, right? Well, you can go in there and claim your local listing. You you can claim your profile as a as a person. So, if you, for example, Google my name or even Google your name, um, you're going to see lots of um, uh, rich snippets. Okay so what I, what I mean by that is um you're going to see pictures of you you and I'll see pictures of me and then um details that Google already knows about me and already knows about you that is pulled from other websites right like um the um uh, movie database website um uh, social channels uh, other websites um, so that'll happen on its own, but as a business, you need to get into your business profile, claim it and optimize it, um, and put it, make, just make sure everything's filled out, your hours of operation, um, where you're located, your phone number, get your phone number in there so people can get on their phone and just click on your phone number and call you, stuff like that, that that's. Simple stuff that doesn't take a rocket scientist to do for you. So as an entrepreneur, I see a lot of people neglecting the easy stuff that they should just knock out of the park. It's, it's just um, while you're drinking your cup of coffee in the morning, just knock it out.
1: Got it. I think this is just spectacular. I, I really appreciate all these 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 words of wisdom that you are imparting on us, um, well, you know. Thank you. And how I is your personal how, how's your personal business going?
2: Um, it, it's going well. I'm doing um, actually, believe it or not, this is weird. I'm doing a lot of um, um, not rebranding, but um, I'm doing a lot of marketing plans that are focused on the branding side of, of things, which is funny because that's not really my skill set. I mean, I, I I know that stuff, but what I'm really good at is the SEO and technical side of things. And um, I haven't been doing so much of that lately. I'm helping people with their brand guides and their brand colors and their fonts and things like that. But I mean, it, 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 ebbs and flows, it comes and goes in different ways. And, and I'm just happy to have those opportunities.
1: Well, I appreciate you so much. Um, as I'm looking forward to the future, what's a couple of advice things on the internet? Cause it sounds like you really have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. What would you recommend to me?
2: Um, so I don't want to blow your mind. Uh, uh, like I said, I'm a TIS guy. I'm going to keep it simple, but AI is a real thing. And, um, I've used ChatGPT for many, many things and it's an awesome tool. Um, Oh,
1: that's an interesting concept. Most people don't really understand what that is and how to, you know, how to use it.
2: Yeah. So basically imagine it's a search engine. Okay. It's not really a search engine, but it's kind of like a search engine. So there's a prompt, and you can ask it anything. You can, let's say you're a hip-hop fan and you like rap music, and you're also into um, HVAC, okay? You could, if you wanted to, get on chat GPT and say, hey, write me a hip-hop song with... uh four verses about HVAC, and it will. And it's, it blows my mind every time something like that happens. Well, um, that's not a good business case for it, but it just gives you an idea of what's possible. But if you get your prompts right and you ask it the right questions, so, for example, um, if I'm writing for a subject that I'm not an expert in and I need help, rather than do all the research that is required, I will prompt ChatGPT and tell it, listen, I need an outline on this subject, Um, focusing on this, this, and this. And by the way, I want you to provide me links for sources on what you come up with. That's a prompt that gives me a whole outline um, with lots of good information and links so I can go back and check everything to make sure it's accurate and good. So that's how I use Chat GPT, Chat GPT for writing, um, but there's other ways to use it. If you use the paid version, you can use it to make images. You can use it for other things. You can use it for coding. Um, but it's a. its a, I mean, literally we could spend eight hours talking about what you can do with ChatGPT. But it's an awesome tool. It's the future and it's here now. And um, I don't plan on stopping using ChatGPT.
1: Well, I think that is a great piece of advice, Chad. I want to thank you so much. How do we find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me at Chadpollett.com. I'm also very prolific on Twitter. Uh it's just at Chad Pollitt, Excuse me, X. X, not Twitter. <laughs> I gotta fix myself on that.
1: Uh um, I no, Don't even get me started about that one.
2: <laughs> I used to have that great blue check mark next to my my account, but the uh Elon Musk took it from me.
1: Oh, no. Well, they've done all kind of crazy things going on. I mean, I love Clubhouse until they just destroyed that. But all right, we got to go. Uh, Chad, I want to thank you so very much for your insight and your information, everything from AI to everything that we've been learning from you. Um, And I look forward, you guys, to uh, we come back right after this break. We got some more talking about SEO with Mr. Eli Schwartz. Don't go away.
0: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley.
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now, back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley.
1: Hey, so I want to introduce you to my guest today here on the Forbes Factor. You know, one of the things that we do is we focus on health, wealth, and happiness. And when it comes to business, I find tying all those things make you a better person. And one of the biggest issues that I've had as we've moved into this digital age is how to maximize what we do, our websites, our funnels, our SEO presence, our social media. And so I said, let's bring on an expert. And so we found, Eli Schwartz. And I know you've probably heard this a lot, but may the Schwartz be with you.
3: No, just kidding. I haven't heard that enough.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, you know what? I, I, got the, I get it Forbes. So the, the, the force, yes. Anyway. Uh, I'm not a Star Wars person. I'm a Star Trek. I named my son Riker. Riker Riley. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, right? So I'm a little bit of a geek. Is that okay? Yeah, it works for me. Yeah, and in another life, I think I might be doing what you do, except I love the numbers part. I love the research and the data part. And then I'm just a, a creative visual. So I'm always at war with myself. Are you a one side brain guy or are you both
3: as well? I'm terrible at data. Well, I'm good at I mean good enough. It's part of my job, but I, (laughs) I love I love people. So that's the part that I love about SEO and really like I feel like people lean too much into data. Like I'm such a people person, like understanding how people use stuff that I went on vacation to Japan. It was my first time going to Asia, and I was so fascinated. Like we took the trains and I was like watching the things that people did on their phones. Like they did different stuff on their phones and people read comic books, like adults were reading comic books and wow. everyone sort of dressed like the same. And I was like, this place is so interesting. I know nothing about it. I want to move to Asia. And I lived in Singapore for two years after that. So I I love the people challenges. I love going to countries where I don't understand the language, understand the culture because it's more interesting. These, you can't make any assumptions. You're starting from nothing.
1: That's a great way. Well, unless, of course, you're American and then you're like, Oh, like my, my dad, we went, and took him down to Mexico. It was like, How come everything's in Spanish? I'm like, Dad, help me out here. This is so <laughs> challenging. So I love your open mindedness. Eli, tell everybody a little bit about you and what you're up to and where you
3: came from. So I help companies build an SEO channel. And what that means is there are there's two ways that people use search. So there's way number one where you just pay Google or pay whoever and you get people to click on your results. So that's just an ad. And then the other part is underneath what is labeled as an ad. So the FTC requires that company that Google, Bing, whoever it is, label those ads as ads. They try to hide it as much as possible. What comes underneath is free. So when you click on that, no one has to pay for that click. So I help companies understand how it is and why it is that someone would be clicking those results. And then I help them build out a channel. So many people that do SEO. They say, well, let's just look at our keywords and write some content. I like to go deeper. I like to call it really building around the user. And I call it product led SEO, which is the book I wrote, which is you're building a product experience for that user. You're not writing a piece of content, you're not jamming in keywords, you're creating something that benefits the user. So when a user does a search and they land on it, they're not like, oh, I I wish I hadn't done this, but this is something that becomes. An experience in a way that they're now coming into the buyer's journey, into the funnel of what that website does. And that's how I build out the channel. And, and in my career, I've helped create a couple billion dollars worth of organic revenue from this channel.
1: Wow. The title of your book is?
3: Product-Led SEO.
1: That's fascinating because SEO has been one of the banes of my existence forever, just truly getting my head around. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you because um, it's just... I kind of see it out there. Like I see the horizon, something I can't touch, but I know exists. Like, huh? How do you tackle that? What got you interested in this
3: part of the business? The human part. <laughs> so, That's
1: funny. I, I would think it was the least. I, I love the fact that you keep going back to that. What did you do before this?
3: So I've been doing this for a very long time, doing it for about 18 years. So my my very first job out of school, I was working for a company that would help to plug the plug this hole between people that wanted something like I want a mortgage I want someone to fix my windows and companies that offer that product you know I happened to have been right in the middle of this during the subprime that crisis but subprime bubble and there were banks that most of them don't exist now they wanted to buy mortgage leads and there were people that wanted to refinance their homes and his company plugged that hole where it helped match them so my role was i worked with affiliates i worked with the people that knew how to do sort of dirty seo and do sort of dirty advertising to gather those people up and then collect their information and and sell it through us to these banks and i'm working with these affiliates and i was fascinated by their job their creativity Of what they were able to come up with.
1: Let's go back. Let's let's just put a pause right there. Let's go back to what that means by dirty SEO. What were the? Because I know a lot of these guys who were in those days were printing money. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah?
3: Yeah, absolutely. What does that mean by dirty SEO? What were they doing? What were you observing? So most of that doesn't exist nowadays, fortunately. But then so when, when Google started or actually search started, in you know the late 90s it was sort of like an online yellow pages so the same way if you I don't I don't even know where I'd find a yellow pages now but if you found a yellow pages <laughs> you opened up to letter A you would see there's a lot of businesses that start with the letter A. Right. And the reason is is because that's that's first. That's the first letter in the alphabet. So if you make your your business you know AA locksmiths. Now you're the first locksmith in the book, right? So (laughs) (laughs) So, so then, so then we have search. So search is like, oh, wow, you could just basically be the online yellow pages. So into that world came a bunch of search engines that did not exist, that don't exist anymore. Yahoo is not really a search engine, but it's, it's the last of the surviving ones. So you had all these websites, they would jam in things, they would put in keywords, they would hide things. And the early search engines were not very smart. They looked at a page and they said, wow, we see this word over and over. You must be for that word. Now, interestingly, a lot of those words were adult words because somehow someone figured out, like, if you load up your website with all these adult words, and then that's what everyone's using the internet for, then they might want to hire you as a locksmith. Like (laughs) You just interrupted their buyer's journey. I have the sexy locksmith over here. I have the all naked locksmith. (laughs) Well, it wasn't really that. I don't even know what the thinking was. It's like you search all these dirty words and you're like, oh, I needed a locksmith today. I'm, I'm glad I found you. So right. that didn't make a lot of sense. Google changed all that by creating an algorithm. An algorithm is just computer rules. They cha- They made an algorithm that they would try to understand if you deserve to be ranking on the things you're doing. So you do a search, you're not going to end up on something and say, well, I meant to look for this. And I found that Google made rules around it. Now, again, those rules were very, very early. And there was tons of smart people who tried to reverse, or they did reverse engineer those rules and they did dirty SEO. So one of those Got things it. was- okay.
1: Now I know what you mean. Yeah. One of those
3: things so, was what? It, so what? So one of the big things was links. So Google would look at who linked to a website. So from an academic standpoint, Google was created in Stanford. An academic standpoint, if you were an, an academic authority other academics quote you so google decided their algorithm would be similar which is if you, author- exactly. if you are an exactly if you're an authority other people are going to link to you now everyone who is doing dirty seo is like well that's great i'll just buy all of it so that's dirty seo and then there were things again most of it doesn't exist where you make your website look one way to the search engine and the to the user it looked a different way you put hidden text Again, all that doesn't exist anymore, but back then it did exist.
1: Okay, well, that's funny because it's probably the last time I really looked at SEO. So now welcome to 2023. Uh, I, like many of my business owners, have several websites. We also have funnels. Can funnels rank in SEO?
3: If they provide value for the user. So what I would say is, and everyone thinks that SEO is harder than it is, SEO is a marketing channel. So if you have a user and you're building something for your user, you don't have to build something not for your users. So if you have a very specific funnel that you want to sell to your users, let's say it's around a home service product. That's all you need to be visible for. You don't need to be visible for the entire house. So the house might be, oh, there's keywords. I need to put the word house and home and all that. That's not what you sell. You just want to be do a really good job of positioning yourself for what you do and oh. what you do well
1: fascinating. All right. Well, so let's play a little scenario. I have a lot of coaches who listen to this network. Um, I've built a landing page, or is it different from a landing page to a web page? Same concept? Because when I build a landing page, I can see where it says SEO integration. Is that what it's just asking me? And the best that I can do is come up with something that serves people?
3: Yeah. So it's better. So let, let's go this, do the scenario on the coach. Okay. So a coach, that's, that's a very high level word. The word coach could mean uh, the coach of an NFL football team. The word coach could also be a birthing coach. That's one-on-one in a very specific scenario that probably does not get a ton of repeat business from the same customer. So now that's, so that's what I mean by selling the whole house. If you say, oh, I want to be visible on the word coach. Well, now you're competing with everybody that has the word coach. But if you are a very specific coach, again, let's say a birthing coach. So birthing coach will now have a only one, very small, geographic area, and they can only serve so many customers at the same time unless they expand their business. So if you're an individual birthing coach, you cannot physically coach two people at the exact same time in two different locations. So we're narrowing down what you do. So now it's your city, it's your specific clientele you think back again look at your business like who are the people that recommend me i want to do my seo around that kind of buyer persona because that's where i do a good job and i get more business you don't need to do and again the birthing coach as an example you don't even need to be ranking on the word birthing coach because again it doesn't help to rank on it in all those zip codes that you don't serve you don't even rank on need to work on the ranking uh, birthing coach in your very own zip code if you only want a very specific Kind of client, like oh, I only want you know a, a, a mom that's in the age like between thirty five and forty. That's right. so my specialty. I,
1: what I love about this is it definitely narrows it down. I only have one midwife in my world. Um, Perfect, I actually do. But let me go back to the ones who are not that specific and the ones who are lost because they are more generic. For example, I teach how people how to pitch, which is the absolute hardest word in the world to even understand because no one's looking for that. I've discovered that. But it, it's funny, ironically, because I teach this. When you go to pitch someone, stop telling them what they need, but get them to want what you have. And that's what you're doing. I want, I'm searching for something I want, and that's what I want to be able to find. But when it's someone who is a life coach or a business coach, we're, they're looking at huge markets. How do they get ever get found?
3: So I, I can't solve that problem. So I think first they, first they have to understand who they are and who they want to talk to now once they've narrowed that down and I'd say the best is it's harder if you don't have any customers once you've narrowed it down and say these are my best customers now try to sit in your best customers chair and again marketers always mess this up marketers always assume well this is what everyone's looking for they forget when they take off the marketing hat this is how they would find something So you just said how to pitch. Okay. So first of all, how to pitch as a keyword is is not great because how to pitch, how do you pitch a softball? How do you pitch a tennis ball? Right. It's very big. How do you pitch a pickleball? But you want to say, how do you pitch your coaching practices or your coaching service? Like we're really narrowing it down. Right. Now, I don't think that any of your customers are going to use that word, how to pitch. They're probably going to use something else that's like, how do i sell how do i close or now they get even and again how to is is very generic how to is sort of in the mid in the like the mid funnel they narrow it down even further which is how do i close an anxious person right again being very very specific that's where the real buyers are and that's the way i would do seo around these things sit in your customer's chair how what do what do you need to do to get in front of them now when they google that and they find your web page landing page again it's the same thing and you say, I'm the best at closing for these reasons, and it matches exactly what they're looking for, they give you the credit card.
1: I love this. I don't know that anyone's ever put it out like that. That's very clever. I like the idea that you take off your marketing hat because odds are you're not really a marketer anyway. So people say to me all the time, Forbes, you're a great marketer. I was like, no, I've grossed two and a half billion dollars because I'm a killer spokesperson for products. And I think what you're talking about, which I talk about all the time, is those one words make all the difference. But then oh. sitting in the customer lap, go ahead. I'm, I'm yeah, waiting. no,
3: absolutely. But you know what? The, when I work with these large businesses, I'm doing this at scale. So you now have millions, hundreds of millions of people, and now you figure out how do you create something for all these hundreds of millions that's personal?
1: Wow. And that's I'm fascinated. And you do have some massive companies that you have worked for. Let me see if I can quote a couple of them here, like Shutterstock, WordPress, Quora, uh, Mega Mix Panel. You guys, you're good, Zendex. I mean, look, these are big companies.
3: And, so, and there, there's more that I'm not supposed to talk about.
1: Well, then I won't name all of those. But the question is, what what would you do if you were faced with, this is a great problem for a, a business to have, is that you're out there to millions of people, but how do you make it feel
3: personal? So the one thing I would say for the smaller businesses is that sometimes, actually not just smaller businesses, sometimes it makes sense to just give up on SEO because you really want to understand your own motivations. So my motivation, let's say I'm a coach, my motivation is to get more customers. Now let's think about the effort that it would take to get more customers. I could do one of two things. I could go and advertise, and that could be advertise online. I could advertise in a magazine. I could advertise at a trade show. So I could think, well, if I spent $10,000 on the trade show, that's a specifically a coaching trade show, I would talk to this amount of leads. And from that, I would convert this amount. Now, if I took the same 10,000 and I went and put it into SEO, I'd write some content. I'm now sitting there and hoping that someone might search for me. So I don't always advocate that everyone does SEO if it doesn't make the most sense. Now, for large public companies that I talk to, what's what's $10,000 to them? What's a million dollars to them? So right. they can give it a shot and they have the budget anyways, and no one's giving it back. But for a smaller company, for an individual where $10,000 means something, Put the $10,000 where it matters the most. And one thing I do in my own business is I close very, very few clients I talk to because it's not a fit. I I will not take someone's money. I will not work with them if it's not a fit. I would tell them, and I try to have a roster of the best places they should go, but I try to tell them where they should go, where that investment makes the most sense.
1: I love that. You know, most people don't do that. If you walk in and so you ask a person, you want to cut my hair? Like, oh, of course you need a haircut. Or you walk into a surgeon, of course you need surgery. There's a level of ethics here. Tell me about your family, your dad. What did he do?
3: My dad's an entrepreneur. So my dad is in, in the real estate business. He uh, he helps companies understand what the risks are when they purchase a property. He does title searches. He works and with law firms. And your so mom? I, my mom's a teacher. Of? She taught small kids. So- early childhood, preschool, daycare.
1: Are you happy with what you're doing? Are you enjoying this part of your life?
3: Oh, I love what I do. I love love seeing companies that I talk to be successful, even if they don't end up working with me. I love seeing the things they do. I also love when they don't want to work with me for whatever reason, and then seeing them do mediocre things and then know that I could have done better.
1: (laughs) I love that. I think that's precious. Where do you live?
3: I live in the Bay Area, so Sunnyvale right near San Francisco.
1: By the way, I'm in Tampa Bay. So don't say Bay area like you got the only one in the country, okay? I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty funny arena. What's your What's your big hope, your big plan for the future?
3: So working on a new book. So my new book really takes this idea of understanding the customer and understanding this buyer persona and scaling it to well beyond SEO. So one thing I, I've learned in my SEO consulting business, which I've done for the last five years, I don't even it's not really in a consulting business, it's an advisory business. So is that most companies do not really understand their customer. They make these fake buyer personas like, oh, this is Hillary. She has a Gucci bag and she drives a Honda, but it means nothing about the product she's buying. I really like to truly understand, like I started with that experience in Japan, like what kind of phone do they use? What kind do they do voice queries or do they do text queries? Do they have a smartphone or dumb phone? Like, I love those little things that matter.
1: Well, but so let me out, because I fought this my whole life. So number one, I used to work for home shopping. And when I saw their customer profile, I'm like, no. And then we went out, we did an event where we met the customer. And I'm like, they don't want to admit who their customer is. Their customer is 10 or 15 years older, half as much income as they think. And I'm sorry, but I don't know where they created that persona. But you look at her, she wants to buy this and she wants to buy that. When you're looking at customers in that detail, is it a bell curve of customers? Because obviously there's customers on both ends. You know, If you're a women-only business... Sometimes there's men who want to buy from you. I mean, I, I'm a, a female coach. And if everyone would always say, well, Forbes, do you train just women? I'm like, does Tony Robbins train just men? Why would you make that assumption about me? <laughs> so my, my curve is I, at one point, it's 60% men. So I was never quite sure who we marketed to because it would be, let's say, 30, 30, and 30. What do you do then?
3: So I don't get that specific. So most of the businesses that I see, they, know, they don't know anyone. So I'd rather pick one person, one buyer persona, and let's figure out how to do that. So in your case, it might be women. You might want to, if, mo- if you're coaching 60% of women, worry about doing like finding the most women and not figure out how to split your effort. And I'll do most of this for women, but I have this angle also. Just do what you're most successful at and then scale from there. So that's what I find. They don't have any buyer personas to start with one. They don't have any buyer personas really? They don't understand their customer well enough. Well, I can see a
1: big company that makes beer that didn't understand their customer. That was a big mistake, <laughs>
3: and, and, I, and that I, yeah, that happens over and over again. Like I, so one of the things I did, like after I worked at a lead generation company, I worked at an automotive content startup, which was a fascinating business. Where I, afterwards, I bought the kinds of cars that they that we we did a good job of like marketing. But it's a, when people buy a car, they spend a lot of time researching it, looking at the pictures. The last thing they do is go to a dealership. So only once you've done that, no one goes in the dealership and say, looking for a car, kind of like has to have four wheels. They know what they want. They know which dealership they're going into. So it's, it's really an interesting place. And what's interesting about marketing cars is that the car companies do the advertising, but they don't control the experience. The dealership... Who is independent they control that purchase so i that to me that's that's great like how do you make like how do you do an ad and what makes like this car makes you feel tough this make car makes you feel rich this car makes you feel powerful and then you go to a dealer and the dealer's drunk right like can't even get you in the car and like the whole experience breaks like i love those kind of challenges
1: oh you're crazy that is so funny Wow. You know, it's funny because for the longest time I fought the whole avatar thing, but in my mind, I always knew how, because I did a lot of my selling to a camera, uh, most of it between infomercials and home shopping. So I would always think about who I was speaking to. And I guess that makes sense, correct?
3: Yeah. I mean, you have to, like, that's a new book. My new book is called Avatar Quest, but like, that's the idea. You have to have someone you're speaking to.
1: Okay. I want to be part of your avatar quest because I have literally fought this my whole life but i realize that i use it even though i don't believe in it Make sense like if you because i always think whenever i meet someone i want to, they are i can i can turn you into my customer no matter who you are not a good strategy when you're buying ads but a great when you're one on one so if you ever seen my fitness product i have here It's on radio you guys can't see it but i have a handheld fitness product and i used to say anybody who has arms can spin gym and then of course i met a man who had no arms he used hooks and he spins him just fine which is kind of ironic or a man who had a stroke And I realized, oh, there's a whole other audience of somebody who can only use one arm to use this and we can make you better. And then people in wheelchairs. And I discovered that we just had to put them in silos. And I don't know if that's the most effective way to scale. So I would love your thought on this because this could be a kettlebell. This could be a Zumba class. How would you drill down in that scenario to find your ideal customer?
3: So you'd have to talk to the actual customer that uses it like maybe there is a customer base of people that don't have arms maybe there's a customer base of busy professionals like you talk to your customers and you find the most passionate people and mm. you're like wow i didn't think about that they're the ones that want to show their show this fitness device to everyone they know because they love it it saves their life it, it changes their life those right. are the those are the best customers so I, I again I this is what I, I always discover when I, I you know talk to companies I'm like who so who's your ideal buyer persona who's your customer persona and they make something up and i like why well, how did you discover that and they made <laughs> it up they <laughs> they didn't know. talk to anybody <laughs> I think that's crazy they didn't talk to anybody they talked to I- somebody they talked to their you know they did some market research one thing I did is you know in my career, So after I said, I lived in Asia, so I I worked for SurveyMonkey, and I was responsible for marketing in Asia. And we had certain things we assumed about our customer. We were actually pretty good at customer data because we had a customer data product. And then I'd I'd meet actual customers in Singapore and around Asia. And I discovered that they use surveys itself as the KPI. They actually never looked at the data. They sent a survey to customers because the customers like, wow, this business cares about me because they sent a survey. And they never did the
1: back end of it? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. They didn't
3: need to. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't care to listen. It's not a. It's not the same kind of service economy we have, where if the customer says something, you change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think this is fascinating. You have the East meets West. We're over in three minutes. I'm so bummed. I'm just enjoying this conversation to no end. What would you want business owners to know? Because I want. I want to. I want to be in on your book. Avatar Quest is like the mission that I've been on forever. My my team is always mad at me that I'm like, how come you don't have her totally laid out? I'm like. Because I I don't know. That's a terrible phrase. I teach my people, you're not even allowed to say I don't know in my company. So what would you say to us based on what you're writing in your new book?
3: Invite your customer in. Sit down and hang out with your customer. Like have lunch with your customer. Like, are they a lefty or are they a righty? Just watch the way they do stuff and don't ask like these prescriptive questions and send them user surveys. Like you learn the most from like watching them and not making assumptions. Again, like you ask them a question, do you use an Android and an iPhone? So you get an answer there, but if you watch them use their phone, you learn so much more.
1: I will, I have a challenge. I have a training coming up next week where 40 of my customers are coming to my studio and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna, I may have to call you back going, wait a second. So I've got this many right-hand, this many left-handed coffee, tea, Android, iPhone. Now, what do I do with that information? Which one is right?
3: I don't think that's that those are the right questions to even ask. I would just hang out with them. You're you're talking to them. Are you talking about coaching? Is that what you're, you're meaning? Yeah, yeah we're hanging
1: out for five days. I have an entire like retreat training.
3: Just freeform. free form. What, what is the biggest challenge you have? And just get them like yelling at each other. And that's where you get the most ideas. Like if you pr- you write down these questions, answer these questions, you're going to get the answers to the questions you've asked. If you let everyone freeform, you're going to get the most insights.
1: Wow. I have just been, del- it's delightful. When is your new book going to come out?
3: Oh, probably a year or two well, I'm <laughs> in the writing process. Coming out
1: sooner because I think it's a great topic. It well, is- I write
3: about this all the time on my newsletter. So I have a newsletter, which you can find on my website. I write about these ideas, understanding customers, understanding digital marketing. And
1: what is the name of your website, my
3: friend? EliSchwartz.co. And you could just Google me. If I've done a bad job being visible myself, then I'm, I'm not good at my job.
1: That would be ironic. Guys, I've had so much fun. If you have a company or a business... Uh, or you're coaching, you know, this is what you do. You need to be found by your customer. They need to figure out who you are, where you are, and how best to get your service. Well, Eli's got great insight into asking them and to figure out who the customer is. So when you talk to them, they feel loved on and they can find you like the SEO 3.0 over here. I'm pretty impressed with you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.